a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real-life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best lives. I'm Jenny Taylor. And I'm Michelle Scharf. We are back with part ben, two. Part two. Ben, Ma, and Christine. So, Christine, do you go by Allison? Is that your last name? Well, that was my last name when we got married. I think that's part oh, okay. of the story. Okay, okay. I don't know about all yeah. of you, but last week, coming. <laughs> last week was like almost an hour that only got us to age, what, 21 or 22? Yeah. So we've got, we've got another 45 minutes today to go through two decades. So Ben and Christina, yeah. thanks for joining us again. Quick and- recap, Ben Moa is a young, beautiful, exciting engaging personality, big smile, great big heart, but he's incredible athletic skill, incredible athletic skill, but also he's been raised to be a gang member and he has carried out crime in his life. He was selling drugs, using drugs, shot someone when he was age 12, got put into a youth detention center for four years. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on. There's a lot, a lot going on at a young age. Ends up getting shot at a family wedding of two rival factioning gangs, but basically they're all family members. And they end up back in California. They Married, hope, having a baby. Having a baby, and they hope to have things settle down and just, he's going to go work for Christina's dad and hopefully have just a regular, you know, normal, boring But then this athletic ability (laughs) continues to show and he's recruited to do some football playing for a junior college. And I think that's about where we left off. And then his college career. Yeah, he did go to the junior college and the head coach there was excited to see him. And he said that he broke a lot of records there and was an All-American and just excelled. And then his coach from Utah, who he has a great deal of respect for, Coach McBride from the University of Utah, calls him up and says, we want to recruit. Christina is not excited about it. She's not wanting to go back to Utah. Christina, tell us where you are in your mind there. And then you're going to get us through college, from college to the NFL to today. That's a lot of years and only about 40 minutes. So we are eager to hear what happens next. Let's go. All right. Okay. So going back to Ben's being recruited now out of the junior college and the uh, coach McBride, he wants to come to Modesto and do a recruiting visit. And I'm already have like a bad taste about the whole state of Utah, which makes no sense, but everything about Utah was wrong. Uh, we're not going. And Ben and I, you know, we're, like I told you, we're putting God first now in our lives. So we're literally praying about a decision. And so the USC coach is supposed to come to my house in Modesto and do a recruiting trip. And then the the next day coach McBride is supposed to come. And it just happened to be that for some reason, the USC coach calls Ben and says, you know what, we're not going to be able to make it. And immediately Ben looked at me after the phone call and says, Christina, I have this feeling that I need to go back to the university of Utah. I want to fix my name and I want to carry my grandfather's name. And I was like, Ben, 
you, are you serious? And so the next day Coach McBride comes, I actually have the same feeling like you're right. We do need to go back to Salt Lake. We need to go back to the U. And so from that time until we come back to Salt Lake, we go through the legal process of changing um, our last name. So Ben wants to carry his grandfather's last name and show respect to his grandfather, bring a good, like, you know, when people hear the last name Moa, he doesn't want them to think of dad or gangs or things like that. He wants them to think of something else. And so that's what Ben wants to do. And so that's what we do. So we come back to Salt Lake. We spend two years here and at the U. It is an amazing, wonderful experience. No issues with gang-related activity, none of that. And we have our son with us, our first son. I get pregnant um, before he enters the draft um, with my second son. It's a great time. So coming back to the U was definitely the best decision. He got to play for Coach McBride, and he also got to play with Coach Meyer. And, yeah, it was great. And everything, I mean, you, you're staying out of the gangs, you're staying out of the drugs, you're staying out of the trouble. You've. It sounds like you found a path in your life. What does the NFL draft experience look like for a young family? And, a, and you got a, one child, right? And then a second child on the way. That's mm-hmm. that's a lot. Like, what is that like in terms of kind of the head game of getting there? I'll ask either of you, Ben. Okay. But I also, like, as a mom, I want to know, Christina, what's yeah. that like for you? Like, I was married um, to a guy that ran for office while I was pregnant, and that was overwhelming. <laughs> that wasn't the NFL. Yeah, so it was a lot. I mean, he obviously had to, like, train a lot. And so, I, luckily, like, my brother had already went through the process of, going to the NFL. So we kind of like knew kind of maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe we should do that. So I knew that it's hard. So I said, if you want to do this, you need to move me back to California with my mom because I know it's a lot. So he can focus on the training and everything. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I moved back to Modesto with my two boys and Ben, he had to get an agent. And that's a reason why that whole story came out on ESPN was because Ben's records were people could still see what he did. And, you know, that's kind of like a bad light when you're wanting teams to spend a lot of money on you right? to come yeah. and play for them. And so I can't really remember. I mean, Ben was doing really well, obviously, at the U. He was like up for some award. Now I can't remember what it was. It was for some tight end award. And there was, you know, a lot of like talk about Ben, but then a lot of people knew his past. And so his agent was like, let's just tell a story. Let's just tell a story so there's no secrets. Okay, I love that. I love that. And I'm thinking like how this all plays into resilience. How many times, Mm -hmm. Michelle, have we talked about a huge component of resiliency is not just sweeping it under the rug. That's right. It's about open, owning it, owning it, good or bad, the Mm -hmm. highs and the lows, the ugly and the good. And so that's interesting to know that was the impetus behind the ESPN special. It wasn't Mm -hmm. a, hey, look how cool my terrible background is. But hey, let me just tell you what my background is. And look where I am now. Let exactly. me have a clean slate. Let me have mm-hmm. a chance to move or forward. Or not a clean slate. Well, I guess. Let, let me see. Let me yeah. be honest about where I've been. And but and I, still give me a chance to have something ahead. Right. I guess that's what I meant. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And I love that. And that is a big part of resiliency, being able to own it up and be able to authentically accept where you're at. Yeah. And own yeah. that your past is a part of not only your present, but your future ambition and goals. Absolutely. Exactly. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where we ended up. I went back to California. He didn't get drafted like he obviously wanted to, but he got picked up as a free agent to play for the Miami Dolphins. And so he went to Miami. He lived there like with the 
the rookies. So you live like in this hotel and I would come out with the boys and we would visit, we would come and like only come and stay for like a few days and go back home. So it was really hard. It was really um So home is California there. for you, home but is home now. is mm-hmm. Florida for him. I mean, that's resilience right there in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was hard. The NFL life is definitely hard. I don't want to say for everybody, but I'm just speaking for Ben, right? So talking about how he grew up and like kind of like how fast like his life changed drastically from like one way to another without really having a lot of, I don't want to say like he didn't have a lot of standards for his life, but like he didn't really know who he was, maybe I should say, because he was kind of like just doing what people wanted him to do. When he was younger, he did the gang life because that's what he thought everybody wanted him to do. Then he had this athletic ability he didn't know, and then he saw that, oh, that pleased people, so I'm going to do that. Right. And now, okay, well, now I want to be a father because, I, I mean, yes, we had two kids, but, like, he didn't really have, like, a lot of, like, this is what I want to do. So, like, ben, I grew up, ben, you I were just kind of allowing life to unfold for you. You guys are all correct. Like, I'm a people pleaser in this mindset, and I didn't know that I was. I go with the crowd, and I just try to be the best of whatever the crowd I'm with. And when you're doing that in the NFL, it's very, very dangerous, especially if you don't have any morals or standards. Like, I knew I wanted to do things, uh, you know, the cookie-cutter church stuff, but when you're in the league, it's a whole other animal. And I wasn't in the right headspace, so... I would latch on to things that I didn't want to really latch on to, but I did. Yeah. So, like, I felt like I was better than everybody, but my mind was not right. How long were you with the league, Ben? I was in there for three years, and I think I could have lasted a longer time, but my mind, I know Jenny's uh, close to church, but in my patriarchal blessing, it says there a couple of times that, what does it say, Christina? He mentions like the only limits he's going to have are the ones he puts on himself. So, and I know that's like real basic for anybody in life, but for him, that spoke so directly to him because looking back on his life, he's like, wow, like really I am limitless. Right. And for him personally, he was like self-harming himself in a way. He was making things harder than they really I felt like I was self-sabotaging myself. Yeah. 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 With just decisions that maybe for me, it would have been like, well, why would you do that? But for him, it was like, yeah, I'll do that. You know, as you know, we're just different, but if that makes sense. Okay, it does. We're going to take a quick break and come back. So now we're looking at the NFL. You're there for a few years. I'm eager to know what happens next and what's happening now. I mean, NFL, that was still a while ago. That's when you're still quite young and starting your family. We'll be right back and jump into what happens next. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? 
That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. So I'm curious how you came to the decision to, to leave the league or separate from the league. I'm not sure the right terminology there. What led to that departure from the league? And then what did you go into next? And did you continue to have in and outs with gang activity? Or, or did you stay out of that and stay clean and kind of stay on this new path that you charted for yourself? Well, I'll let Christina go to this because it's a long, long, long job. It could have been probably part four. <laughs> So Ben was with the Dolphins, and then they say that you get released. Basically, you get fired from your job. So Ben got released from the Dolphins right before the season started, and then um, they actually sent him to NFL Europe in the spring. So that means that they send you to, to one of their teams in Europe. And I don't even know if they still have this, but you go and play a season there. And so we did that, and then he actually got hurt. So then he was out for the whole season, like American NFL season. And then he got sent back to NFL Europe again in the spring. So this is like now like two to three years of like trying to make a team, trying to find where like where he fits in. So he, the Dolphins, my NFL Europe, uh, the New York Jets, and these few years, they're, they're, he's still struggling. You know, he's um, not making the best decisions all the time um, for himself, and also like a reflection on me and the two kids that we have. And so we're still battling to like come on like you got to do better Ben and he's like okay like I'm gonna do better and so he ends up finally he played a little bit in the arena league I don't even know if they still have this either but they had an arena league in Las Vegas a team in Las Vegas that wanted him to come play and so we lived there for a little bit and that was when my oldest son was five and so then he ended up getting released from that team for I think he got injured in his chest or something like that anyways so that was the last year that he had played football. So for my oldest son being about five until he was about, I don't know, maybe 11, those next six to seven years were really a struggle for him. It was a struggle for him to find, like, where do I sit now in this regular normal life, I guess? I mean, for somebody going from being praised for sports, and I know why people like to talk about that, it's because it's pretty amazing like, you know, it's like something that people just dream of and he got to live it. And so now from people talking about all the time with you and now you're just like a regular person trying to find like a regular job, that was probably the lowest I've ever seen been. Even lower than possibly low, like when he got cooked off the football team by Coach Mack. Low like that. I've never yeah. seen Ben so low. That'd have to be a really so, hard transition. It would be. To go mm -hmm. through that. How do you yeah, how do you make it through that, Ben, but also Christina and this young family you have? How does that yeah. not be one more thing that could very likely destroy you and your marriage and your, your spirits in general? Yeah, and that's where our marriage really did almost end. It came to a point over these next two years where, I mean, he tried a ton of things to try to fit in. So I would think, okay, like this is the job, like this is what it is this time. This is for him. And then he just couldn't last. So about like when my oldest son was probably in, right when he's going to start junior high, I started to see less of Ben. Like all of a sudden he just wouldn't come home. And I'd be like, wait, where are you? And he'd be like, oh, I'm going to stay down in Salt Lake, like with my family. And I'm like, oh, this is so weird. Like he's never done this before. And 
I now I have three boys. And so I couldn't wrap my head around what was going on because, I mean, it's been so long since he played football. So why, to me, I'm like, why is that such a big deal? Like, you should be over it by now. Like, you got to find a place. And so eventually, it started to be days where I wouldn't see Ben. And I'm like, what is going on? And and at this time, my parents had moved here to Utah. Um, and that would be a huge blessing for me because they were here for especially like emotional support and like just support oh, yeah. to have around for me. But I finally, I don't know, probably had been months. Like, we're going through this where I don't see Ben. I see Ben. He's working. He's not working. He's in between jobs. And this thought came to me as I was driving, like, is Ben using drugs? Like that really was like what I thought. And I called him and I asked him, I said, Ben, are you using drugs? And he was like, I think he may have just said yes. Like, yeah, I I am. So super just open question from you and open answer from him. Yeah. And I'm so then like all of a sudden just like all made sense in my mind. Like, oh, that's why he's going to Salt Lake. That's why he's hanging out with, you know, those family members and those distant cousins and these people that we didn't really associate ourselves with much. And that is like this aha moment of, okay, Ben needs help. So I gave him an ultimatum. I'm like, okay, you go to rehab or you can't come home. Like you can't be here. And And how was that received? Bad, really bad. And yeah, yeah, it wasn't good. So right before this time, I was only going to have three boys because, you know, my life was kind of up and down, but there was this little stretch of time where um, during these seven years that things were okay and we were like okay let's have another baby and so i get pregnant well, you gotta tell them about my grandma first <laughs> okay so ben's grandmother before i got pregnant with my daughter she tells me um you're gonna have another baby and i was like lady you you're don't crazy yeah. yeah like i am trying to just keep my life together and i yeah. already have three kids like i'm not gonna have another baby and yeah. she says you're gonna have another baby and i really want you to name her after me and this was, so Ben calls her her grandmother, but it's actually Ben's grandpa's sister. Okay. And Ben loves his grandpa so much. And this was his very favorite sister. And so I knew that this would mean so much to Ben and his grandfather. And, you know, things were going okay, I thought, for this little bit of time. And I'm like, first I was like, you're crazy. But then time went on and I was like, okay, let's have another baby. And she told me I was going to have a daughter. And anyway, she ended up actually passing away before I got pregnant with my daughter. And I get pregnant And then now during this time, this is when this is all kind of happening where I'm like, Ben's not coming home and Ben's coming home. Ben has a job. Ben doesn't have a job. Tell me what year this is, Christina. This was in the year of 2012. Okay. So we've come a decade out of college and a decade ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I'm about six months pregnant and I am just like super like stressed out and a lot of weight on my shoulders, a lot of, you know confusion of like, where is my life going? I have these children. I'm having another one. Ben can't seem to stay, you know, stable all the time. Like he's too inconsistent. I don't know what's going on. And my parents, luckily they're here, you know, they're just always around. So I don't feel too lonely, but I felt lonely at the same time. Nobody understood. So then this is October and I'm due in December with my daughter I go into labor 10 weeks early and I don't know, I don't want to speak for Ben, but this could have sent him like over the edge. Like, I don't really know. But after I had her, I mean, she had to go in the NICU for six weeks. 
She's about to be 10 and she's amazing. It's interesting you say this could have sent Ben over the edge. Is it sending you over the edge? It definitely. I mean, you're the um, mom carrying all this weight and this worry, not to Mm -hmm. mention the physical side of pregnancy and postpartum and a baby in the NICU. That's that's over the edge. That's over the edge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Yes, I definitely want to say I was about to go over the edge, but maybe, and this is what really, what has always kept me, for me, and I'm only speaking for myself, were my kids. Like, my kids kept me going. My kids were my why. My kids were my hope. My kids were my reason. Without my kids, I would have went over the edge. Like, I I need to tell you guys, I was on drugs, and I was doing, like, she's making it sound was off and on. It was horrible for her. It was absolutely horrible for her. I was on drugs. I was selling drugs. I was doing everything that I wasn't supposed to okay, be doing. Okay, so Ben, how so do you back keep to staying out of jail back, and back, prison? I, I was in jail. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I, was in, I was in and out of jail. I went to jail for having a bunch of drugs on me and I had guns on me. So, like, I basically relapsed into that when I was a kid. I basically... Uh, it's what you knew. To, so how do you pull yourself or went, get pulled out of that? How? Yeah, and then I went right into it, right back into the same same state of mind. Um, I felt like a sense of like, I don't know, the drugs were so overwhelming. And then my last day out of jail, I come walk, I come out of jail. And my last thing is, and I read a scripture when I was in jail coming off of uh, drugs, um, I, I read a scripture that said um, something to the extent of do what you can and I'll take the rest of you. So I prayed hard as I could. I prayed like I've never prayed before for God to take away the craving of the drugs so I can get my life back together and save my wife, uh, save my life and be with my wife. Um, if, if, and the other thing was uh, repentance. The, re- the repentance part of this whole thing was the thing that I used to repent, but I was always—I would always have something in the back of my head that I didn't repent for. It would always bring me back to this, like it would really always draw draw you back yeah. in. Yeah, it would always it would always say, "Well, I didn't do this, so I, I can't—I didn't fully repent. I didn't fully tell my wife everything." So well, it's I, that transparency I, to be fully open, whether it's with your wife, your God, yourself, yeah, to somebody, really yeah. dig deeper enough, deep enough yeah. to to really get through that. And I'm a firm believer that you're as sick as your secrets because I lived it. Oh, wow. That's and I, and powerful. I was, and I was sick as my secret. And I and I finally just told my wife everything, everything I could think of, everything that was in my mind. And I said, God, I'll tell her everything if you take that craving from me. And from, and from this point on, I, I, he, the day that I told him, the day I woke up, is the day he took that craving for me, that that drug craving, because I knew I w- I couldn't, I was powerless to it, and I told, I asked him if he take it from me, and I and I'll never go back, and I'll never do, and I'll never hurt my wife again, and I'll never do this thing, and I don't, probably ten years ago or something, and it's I've, and I woke up with no craving. I told my wife this story, and 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 I, and I didn't have to go to rehab, I didn't have to do all this stuff, and. Wow, it's because God, it's because God took it from me, and He trusted me to, to hold up my end of the bargain, and, and to think about the where I was, in the streets and selling drugs, you're not supposed to be a real estate agent if you've got 
a bunch of charges, right? Right. Yeah. Or happily so, married or still yeah. have access to your children. Or Okay, yeah. wait, we're going to take one more break. We're going to take one more break and come back. I wish we had hours and hours because there's so many layers to this story. So many layers. I we've told got you. About, I know. We've got about 10 minutes. We want to really okay. hit home we'll the resilience piece of the last 10 years. You, you said, I, before we go to break, really quick. So have you been sober since that moment you made that? I have been. I That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow, Ben. And, and, uh, and Christina been, stayed with you. Holy cow. I hope you treat her so, like gold every second of uh, every day. I, 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 every, I tried. I tried, though. And that's like this because he was in and out of jail during this yeah. time. Like he would get I would get that phone call. You have a collect call. And I'd be like, oh, my gosh, Not are again. you serious? Yeah. Not again. And then um, anyway, so then we're in 2013. And it's the summer, and I, I, I'm on vacation with my family in California. Okay, hold on my, one sec. We're going to go to a quick break and come okay, back to yeah. this. Okay, and we're back. We've got the last 10 minutes to try to wrap up the last 10 years. Ben, you're sober. Christina, you stay with him. You've got four children. Your daughter makes it out of the NICU healthy, I hope. Yeah, she's okay. amazing. you got she's four, four healthy yeah, kids. Amazing. I follow mm-hmm. you both on social media, so I've seen now that you have athletic children who are doing great things in sports and college sports and getting to that yeah. age where they're leaving high school and chasing those dreams. Let's talk for a minute about resilience. We always ask our guests, what is resilience? What does it mean to you? You've obviously exercised incredible resilience that includes highs and lows, that includes secrets and then working through those secrets, that includes staying together and feeling like you're falling apart. I mean, there's books that could be written about everything we've shared today. First, we'll start with Christina, then I'm going to ask Ben. What is resilience? What does it mean to you? You know, we tell our story and then I know people hear it and think like, why didn't that work out for my family or why didn't that work out for my parents? But there's been a lot of hurt. And there's been a lot of sadness in my home for a lot of time. And my two older children, they're the ones that remember the most. So not only were as I hurt, but my kids were hurt. Even as they grew up, we're so open that my kids, I'm hoping, were able to heal from that. But because we're okay, like you can ask questions, you know, you can ask dad. And my kids will tell them even sometimes like, dad, we were mad at you. You know, that wasn't okay the way you treated mom when we were younger. And that's good to let them. I think, again, how much do we say resilience is transparency, honesty, openness? Yes. And that's exactly what I was going with for that. I was like, for our home, that's part of the resilience, like being open about it, being honest about it, taking accountability. And I know sometimes that's hard for Ben to take um, when he hears, especially my two older boys, um, when they talk. Uh, That's hard for him because he has to walk through because he doesn't know. He doesn't, he doesn't remember a lot of this. Right, so right. He has to walk through He didn't experience what they experienced. Exactly. So for us, that was something that really helped heal, was being open, being yeah. honest, letting not only me, but letting the kids tell Ben how they felt. And for us, I'm so blessed and thankful to be where we're at now. And I know for a lot of people, it doesn't work out that way. But really, the whole healing process of everything is I also had to forgive myself, not because I made Ben make those choices, but I had to forgive myself for that was my life. 
Like yeah. I chose that life. And I'm not saying like that was a bad thing. I'm just saying like I had to accept that. Yeah, I'm choosing that acceptance. To, it's that yes. acceptance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was okay. And that's okay with me. And that's okay if people don't want to be my friend because of what I went through. And that's okay too. Yeah. Because that did happen. You know, there were people that weren't okay or didn't let their kids come to my house. And that's okay too. Interesting. I have, but I had to accept it and keep moving forward and not be upset and not be angry because this is the life that I chose and this is the life that I continue to choose. That's so much of resilience there. The openness, the Absolutely. acceptance, the, the two parts of it, that you can be angry and hurt with the other person, but there's also that personal internal side that if you don't resolve it on your own, you can point fingers all day at somebody else, but taking it in. And then Christina, what you mentioned about other people just might not get it. And they might not be with you on this journey. And, and that's got to be okay too, that you can stick mm-hmm. to what you know is, is right and good and your path and your choice. And not everybody's going to like that. So much good teachings of resilience and relationships and everything else. Ben, we're going to ask you, what is resilience? How would you define it? Okay, for me, it, the hardest part of the resiliency is, like my wife said, creating such a mess and then getting sober and having to walk through that mess and let people explain to you how how they felt that people, because it's super embarrassing and super like shameful to do these things and not remember most of them, but just to let everybody tell you how they feel and what you've done and continue to just shut your mouth and listen and try to put yourself in the headspace of like, let them do their thing and, you know, be humble enough to know what you did and be, just be aware of everybody's feelings. And I know that I did that stuff and I know it's all my fault and I know that all of it was self-inflicted. So I controlled all the things that I did. Nobody did anything over me. It was all my fault and I take full accountability for it. That's the other thing is like, just own what you did. For me, I had to own it because my wife thought she was crazy because I was such a master manipulator that I could trick her into thinking that I didn't do that. But she knew that I did it, right? So I had to, like, say, hey, you're not crazy. I did do that stuff that you thought I was doing. Owning that, yeah. yeah. yeah, Owning the hurt, owning the bad choices, owning the despair, and and still being determined to stay together. Yeah. Yeah, it's embarrassing, and it's embarrassing to the community, but I felt like I'm not going to hide anything from anybody. Age-appropriate, I'm going to tell you what I did. Age-appropriate. Right. Like, I'm not right. going to go to my little tip-top types kids and tell them that I was doing all this stuff, right? Right. If, but if, but but if you I have a love... question and you're, and you're age-appropriate, I'll tell you age-appropriately what I did. I'll say substance abuse to kids that are in junior high or high school. Well, but and I Ben, let's talk, let's talk for a second. What I'm seeing is obviously the resilience of each of you individually, the resilience of your, your, you two together as a couple, resilience, the mindset of the physical side of this, the drug side of this, the gang side of this. I mean, there's so many layers. Let's talk for just a couple of minutes about the work you now do. You mentioned your tip-top tykes and your tip-top athletes. I know because, as we mentioned at the beginning of the first episode, my boys are some of your students. Talk about this mission you now have with today's young people and the role you see athletic training playing in in their path that I imagine you hope doesn't have to look exactly like your path, right? Yes. So my business partner is my Uncle Mace's son, Nate. So we decided to open this gym together. Nate was the head trainer at UVU College for four years, training all sports. And he called me one day and said, let's open up a facility and train the kids up north. 
because there's nothing like that up there. So we decided to do that. We trained about 300 kids, and we love it. We wanted to provide a place for kids to train and just whatever level you're at to level up from it. And the cool thing about this is someone in Lehigh just bought 40% of Tip Top, so we'll be expanding. Uh, oh, that's great to have a yeah, bigger footprint. Yeah, so we'll have we'll invest to a couple of different locations, which is a huge blessing for us. Remember I told you I was forthcoming with the real estate thing, so I put all my charges together in a package, and I sent it to the real estate commission, and I said, hey, this is what I did. This is who I am. This is part of my story, and this is where I'm at. I know you don't approve people that have criminal background to be a real estate agent, but this is what I want to do, and I feel passionate about it. And they actually reviewed everything, and they put me on probation two years ago, and they said I could do it, and I did it, and then they just took me on probation. So That's awesome. Oh, congratulations. So I'm also a real estate investor. We're, we're building uh, 200 townhomes in Bear Lake. And we oh, are, uh, yeah. Call my yeah, brother. I'm sure he wants to buy in. Yes, I do. So we do that with a group of my buddies that we're doing this project with. We also do storage units. Uh, we're doing a lot of stuff. We're doing, we do a lot of stuff. <laughs> well, I love this. I, we've seen you have resilience exercised in your journey. But as we've seen so often with so many of our guests, Michelle, it's when you take that journey and then dedicate yourself to helping other people either through their difficult journey or try to avoid the difficulty. Right. That's where you really find that magic of resilience where and you I imagine, strengthen the muscle yeah, absolutely. and you're helping others. I imagine, Ben, part of doing the athletic training, it is a leadership training opportunity, right? Yeah, it is. So we teach them not only athletics, like we try to help them build their confidence and build their you know, be accountable to something. Well, you're building character. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, as a mom, I see when I get in there, there's banners all over that, uh, you know, mindset, quotes, different things, kind of that same thing that you mentioned, you had that special religious blessing in your life that basically said, you're the only limit you'll face. And yeah. isn't that true for so many of us, how we set limits on ourselves, whether consciously or subconsciously. I exactly. love what you're doing. How have- and you see it a lot in the kids, like self-doubt and I can't do it. And we try to basically change their muscle memory in their brain to not think like that. Yeah. We don't want them to think like that. Absolutely. How have you been able to challenge that people-pleasing part of you? And have you discovered, that, for instance, you said real estate's a passion and, and it's something that you really care about. Was that something that you just got a taste of and then you thought, this is something I really want to do. So real estate, I've always wanted to work with people and I've always wanted to own land and invest. And so another thing me and my wife do is we buy houses and we flip them. Yeah. So we do that together. That's one of our projects we do together. So Ben, with that question, Ben has had to work on boundaries and what he allows for like himself and for other people and 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 me too. Like we well, all it's have to be ongoing. To yeah. on. You're you're yeah, never done. So, you're never yeah. done. And, yeah. So that was something that Ben has really worked hard on doing. Like, what does he accept for his life, and what does he want to give out of himself to others? Because Ben would give everything. Ben would give his shoes, his shirt, anything that anybody asks for. But sometimes I'm like, you don't need to do that today, Ben. Save that for another time. You know? Right. <laughs> so even even in college, if someone asked me for my cleats, I'd give it to him. I gave a kid my helmet yeah. once and I wasn't supposed to. For some reason, I just want to give and help. 
I, and I that's a beautiful give, thing, and it yeah. needs to have some boundaries. Right. I think Absolutely. both of us. <laughs> yeah. I'm in the singles world, and one of the things that I learned about being single is that we have to have a sense of ourself, our self-worth, and our self-value. And mm-hmm. we have to be able to love ourselves. And in doing that, we do need to be able to put ourselves first before we can truly serve or give anything to anyone else or in another relationship. And after those things, we need boundaries. We need to know what our standards are and we need Mm -hmm. to know what the deal breakers are. So this applies in every area of our lives. It's um, I'm actually working on a coaching program to teach this to people because I think it's really a problem in our society in general that I'm seeing. It was a huge problem for me. So the boundaries thing, because I like my wife said, if somebody asked me for something, I'm going to do it without thinking about my wife's feelings or anybody else's feelings. I just kind of just do it for some reason. So I've been reading a lot of books on boundaries. We do a lot of self-help audiobooks. So yeah. we're trying to work on it. Yeah, that book, Boundaries, is a good place to start. I've read that, too. Well, Ben and Christina, Incredible. it's been amazing. I'll tell you the big takeaway for me, and I think that it applies to all of us in every area of our life, you are as sick as your secrets. That, that is a was profound, powerful. powerful statement. And true for all of us, and it doesn't have Absolutely. to be sick with addiction or sick with drugs, mm-hmm. but... No, it can be a lot of different areas. And being authentic with ourselves first is probably the most important step. But being, if you're in relationship, you need to be micro truth, honest yeah. with that person with that your you're spouse, in. with your children, with Absolutely. your coworkers. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, powerful stories. I love that you guys are doing so well and that your family's together. And you two are both an energizing, beautiful couple to be around And I love that you, Ben, have been able to figure out how to serve others after going through what you've been through and how to be able to maybe stop some cycles of drug use or a lack of having somebody to care about them and paying it back in the way that your coaches paid it forward for you. Uh, And now or they paid it to you and now you're paying it forward rather. I love the story so much. Thank you for being willing to come on and share the story with us. I know it took us a while to get you on. And um, I I know there was some apprehension, but I hope that you'll be pleased with our final edits on this two-part series. Just thank you both, Ben and Christina, for being so honest, for being so open and transparent, everything Michelle just said. It's always, always the case that we know people in passing. We see them. We live in the same community and then we discover we have no idea what's gone on behind the scenes. And that's and that's what yeah. this show is about. And the more open we get, the more authentic we get, I hope the richer our lives and our relationships become. When we see the good, the bad, and the ugly, when we know what it is yeah. that's brought us to where we are, that we can hopefully not be judgmental, but have more empathy and say, oh, now I see why this matters to you so much. Or this explains maybe you're passionate about the other, whatever it is. But to everyone listening, yeah. thank you. Thank you for joining us with Ben and Christina Moa today. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you'll find us on your favorite podcast platform and give us a like, a rating, and a review. We also really hope you'll be willing to tell your story and come join us on this journey of storytelling and authenticity and a bit of self-discovery along the way as we all strive to be relentlessly resilient. You can find us on social media at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast and email us at rrpodcast at ksl.com. Special thanks to Kelly Ann Halverson, our amazing producer. And remember, 
Whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their lives. Have a great day. Take care, everybody. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.